Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. The Fan. I know I'm gonna get pimped. Young punk. I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not misohonia. The Tim Graham Show. the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. We have one of the Lindsays in the studio, but not the Lindsay. Different spelling, different line of work. Lindsay D'Arcangelo is going to be in studio with us for two hours today. Long-awaited return. It's been a long time. It's been a minute. Lindsay D'Arcangelo of The Athletic. She used to be on the show every other week last season, and uh, she comes back strong after uh, a hiatus. She's been doing some great work for The Athletic. It's a lot easier to say who she works for this time around because last year at this time it was a list. It was like Jonah is now. We would just have to say D'Arcangelo Enterprises just to (laughs) tighten it up. Also, uh, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. He's here, the usual crooked co-host that he is. Jonah Bronstein uh, filming this on Periscope. And uh, you can see uh, this Tim Graham show as a live stream or all the past uh, Tim Graham shows as a live stream right now. You can check it out later. Uh, You can uh, download it on iTunes and SoundCloud after the show. All kinds of stuff. So Jonah Bronstein handling that for us. He's here. And Bobby Rosati did on the knobs as he's uh, does so gloriously. You know, uh, we should keep introductions right about there because we have a guest right here at the top of the show, and we're going to jump right into it. It's a topic that we'd probably be talking about whether or not he was going to be on the show. So rather than us yammer about it, let's talk to UB men's basketball coach Nate Oates about his team rising in the poll, the AP poll, for the fifth consecutive week. The first time that's happened to a Mid-American Conference school since Western Michigan in 1975-76. Nate, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I didn't know that. I think I was one year, I was one year old when the last time that happened. So that, it's been a couple of years. Well, I was four or five, I guess I would have been. No, I was four. I wouldn't have turned five until the summer of 76. So, uh, yeah, I was playing with my Hot Wheels and, uh, you know, Batman stuff. Get, you know, getting it done. Yeah. Nate, yeah no, it's been, it's been a good year so far. You know, it's been amazing. And uh, here you are at number 14 in the country in the Associated Press poll. And I know that that's the standard, but uh, you're number 15 in the USA Today coaches poll. How do you view the different polls? And does one bring a little bit more pride than the other? I mean, they're, they're usually fairly similar, but the, the coaches... I think it's actually cool that the coaches vote for us. I mean, you know, the the, the writers can get a little persuaded one way or the other, and they got some different stuff. But coaches are—you got to be doing something right for all the coaches to be voting for you too. What are you doing right? I think we're, play, we're playing pretty good defense because we we haven't even played that well on offense. To be honest with you, I mean, we've had different guys come to play on different games. CJ was. Unbelievable against West Virginia. Jeremy's come on better lately. Javon was good. 
against Bonaventure, we've yet to get our whole team to play well on offense. So it, we've, we've got a lot of room to improve. But our defense, we talked about it in the offseason. If you go and look at the analytics numbers, our offense was way ahead of our defense last year. And we, we made a concerted effort to get better on defense. I think guys have bought in. Our defense has been really good. We've got a bunch of tough kids, and we're, we're guarding people. So whether our shots are dropping or not, we've been able to get nine wins here to start the year out. Hey, Nate, Jonah Bronstein here. How you doing? Good. How you doing, Jonah? Good. You know, Tim asked you what – I was a little offended being an AP writer that, that you took more pride in the coaches' poll than the AP poll, which has you higher. I, but... I, didn't, I, I think you put words in my mouth there. But, but you know, <laughs> I, I get what you I, I did want to ask you – we talked a little bit about this before. The, the NCAA, the new net rankings, which re- has replaced RPI, you're currently 12th. What do you think about that a couple of weeks in? Or how seriously are you taking those numbers and with the early data that we have? Shoot, if we're 12, they, they, they must be dead on. I love them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you got to take them seriously a little bit just because the NCAA says that's what they're going to use. I mean, that's what they use for the quad one, quad two wins. You know, we need to get some quad one, quad two wins. It's going to help with seating. It's going to all that stuff. So, I mean, a lot's to be determined here in the next 10 days when we play Southern Southern Illinois, Syracuse, and Marquette here before Christmas. I think based on how those three games go will kind of tell us, you know, what our chances are for an at-large bid this year. But that, that was that right. I mean, if you can get an at-large bid, those quad one wins, quad two wins, your ranking on that deal, that's supposed to mean a big deal. So I don't know how accurate it all is, to be honest with you, because I still I – mean, I was talking with a, with an ESPN writer today about it, like – they used offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency. It basically comes down to your points per possession on each side of the ball. But are they taking into account who you're playing? Because, like, my buddy T.J. Otzelberger at South Dakota State played Savannah State last night. He's got 90 points at the half. Well, that's a little bit different than trying to play Virginia and trying to score 90 in two games against Virginia. You know, so I don't know how – if they're taking all that stuff into account, it just it'd be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out through the course of the year. Nate, you just mentioned it there. We're in conversation with UB men's basketball coach Nate Oates. Uh, you just mentioned it there. I was going to ask you towards the end of the interview, but since you just bring it up, South Dakota State, uh, you, you mentioned that uh, the coach is a friend of yours, but uh, do, were you watching that game as it happened? Do you see the highlights? And just what goes through your mind when you see offense like that? 90 points by halftime. Yeah, I was... I was in heaven. That's that's my kind of game. I, I, like, I like seeing a lot of three shots, the ball going the hoop. I mean, he and TJ, yeah, TJ played at the University of Wisconsin Whitewater, where I coached for Lance Lightfoot, also came. So he's a fellow Wisconsinite. But he, I mean, I've been. See, when I was at Romulus, he was at assistant at Chipola, so we go way, way back. But he, I mean, they they shot it really well. He puts a big, big, big emphasis on shooting the ball there in the gym all the time, shooting so. They had a lot of threes dropping, but Savannah State pressed. And, I, you know, shoot. being a high school coach, I tried to press one year. That's what happens sometimes. Like you can't press against really good guards. You can give up a bunch of wide-open shots. And uh, You know, I might need to schedule those guys next year because we like to put up points. It would be nice to go against a, uh, a team that pressed and left you a bunch of laps and wide-open threes at the other end. 86 three-point attempts between those two teams last night. Wow. Yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. Nate, uh, you mentioned the upcoming schedule, but I want to go back a few days. Uh, the game at St. Bonaventure, a lot of people here in Western New York had that game circled. And, of course, the game being at the Riley Center and 
the big, uh, you know, the, the festive atmosphere, for lack of a better term, that happens there with the students. And uh, to be able to go into that environment, to come away with an 80-62 to 62 win, which it wasn't even that close. I think you probably could have won by 40 if you wanted to. Uh, what does that win mean for your program to to win at the what's considered the toughest place to play of the big four schools? Yeah, I mean, their fans get after it. They're rowdy. It's, it's a fun environment to play in. You know, get that kind of what college basketball is about. I mean, you know, they they went over the line with a few things, but I mean, that, that is what college basketball is about. That rivalry, and I think that's the people that are huge college basketball fans more so than the NBA. That's kind of why they're college basketball fans because you get that student section and the noise going. So to go in and play in a really tough place, I think I saw some of the last four top 25 teams that went in there, I think all came out with a loss if, I, if, I, if somebody had that thing right. So I think, you know, to go in there and our guys show the maturity that they did and come out and kind of dominate them in the first half, that lead was 28 points there early in the second half, I think speaks to the maturity of our guys. They weren't going to be, be bothered by a rowdy student section or anything like that. We just came in took care of business. And, you know, it's, it's not St. Bonaventure may be down, but they, they had won three in a row. They just beat Siena by 42, so they're not that down. When they had Stockard, they're, they're now, they were 3-0 and with, with Stockard back. They're now 3-1, and so that, that's a pretty good Bonaventure team, and Coach Schmidt's going to get them rolling. I think they'll be all right in the A-10 this year. How do you think they went over the line? I mean, if I, the stuff they were saying, I can't say on air. Like, uh, you, 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 I'm sure you've got a 10-second delay. You'd have to be bleeping <laughs> it out. So <laughs> for those of you that were there, I think you'd know, you know why it went over the line. Yeah, I heard some reports. I, I can't say, and I probably don't. And even if I want a, the clean version of it, uh, I, I was going to let you say your piece if you wanted to, but uh, – uh, I would feel uncomfortable saying uh, some of the things that they were saying. So I guess we'll just leave it at that, unless you don't want to leave it at that. No, I mean, their they're president addressed it. I saw, I saw the email that he sent to the student body. I think he handled it well. I, you know what, I just think, I think you get a group of teenagers, you know, 18 to 22-year-old kids, and they get in a group and they think it's that whole group, you know, like and they're invincible with a group. And they, they don't, it is some of that stuff, they would never say that one-on-one to anybody. So why they would say it, in a group, they just got to get themselves. They got, they're better kids than that. That's a good school. It's a high academic school. They're they're good kids, I'm sure. All of them one on one, and they just got to realize that just because you're in a group doesn't okay the fact you can't you can't say some of the stuff they said. We're in conversation with UB men's basketball coach Nate Oates. His team up to number 14 in the country after a fifth consecutive week rising in the Associated Press poll. Also, the highest that a Big Four school has gotten in the poll. Uh, since uh, 1970-71. And who was that, Bonaventure? Yeah, that's Bonaventure. Yeah, it was Bonaventure also. Okay, so, Coach, uh, taking a look at your uh, upcoming schedule here. Um, at home against Southern Illinois on Saturday afternoon, but you have Syracuse looming and Marquette after that. Uh, that's coming up next week, both on the road. You're coming off a big win. What is the psychology of addressing your players and getting them ready for Southern Illinois when they know that these two big games uh, are in the offing? I mean, so it's similar to what we, we came off when we went to their place. We were playing them. And I'm sorry, Nate, I just I want to stress, too, Southern Illinois has a pedigree, too. So it's not as though to say that Southern Illinois is the walkover in this game. But I know that there's probably Syracuse on a lot of kids' minds already. 
Yeah, no question. I mean, Syracuse two hours down the road. They're in the top twenty-five. They're a high major school. They, you know, they've been in the Final Four. The whole deal. Like obviously, Syracuse has a bigger name than Southern Illinois. But what I think our group's a pretty mature group. When we played at Southern, usually you don't play a non-conference team twice. But we were both struggling. Nobody wanted to play us. Nobody wanted to play them. We're both two really good mid-majors, so we just agreed to play each other twice and, and finish both of our schedules. So. When we went and played at their place was when we were coming off the win at West Virginia, and that was all on the same road trip. We left West Virginia that night, drove up to Pittsburgh, flew from Pittsburgh to St. Louis, drove two hours to Carbondale. It was a long weekend. We played them on a Monday. So I told our guys, you know, if you beat West Virginia, if you lose this game at Southern Illinois, it's not going to mean a whole lot. So we came out, we're up 60-43 to 43 there with three minutes to go in that game, and we, we should have closed it a little bit better, but we, we – kind of dominated them there through the middle of the second half. So I, it, it's a, it takes a mature group, I think, to not overlook games, whether it's right after a big win, whether it's right before a big rivalry game, whatever it is. And we just keep preaching that to our guys. Like, every game's important. Every minute's important. I mean, we were up 28 on Bonaventure and then let them cut that lead in half, you know, and then we're able to open it up a little bit more later. But you know, I wasn't happy with our performance for 40 minutes there. We're working on trying to get a full 40 minutes out of our guys. And I think when you when you stress it that way, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. You're just trying to play your best basketball every possession down the floor. Southern Illinois is, is the best team you got coming in at home this year. You, and then you go to Syracuse, you go to Marquette, you've been to West Virginia. As far as scheduling on the whole – is there any possibility? I know you can't get a team like that to come to alumni, but is there any possibility of playing a, a bigger game like that against a Syracuse and Michigan at the arena? Is that, is that something that you could plan for? I'd love to do it. The, the, really, the only way that that gets done in today's day and age with those schools is if there's like a, say, a Buffalo kid that went to that school that wanted to, that, that coach wanted to bring him back close to home, like. Or even like in our case, the Toronto kid, like which would be is more kind of what we're trying to do. Like, is there some schools that have a lot of Toronto kids? This is the closest, you know, decent school, Division One school to Toronto. Would they come back and bring them close to that? So that that that's the route that we've talked about as a staff trying to go down that road to see who has those type of kids. Other than that, it's I mean, shoot, it's hard enough. We can't even get teams to. to Bias to go to their place anymore. I mean, they don't want to a buy a loss. So, I mean, we were fortunate that we already had West Virginia and Marquette that those games under contract before we beat Arizona. Once we beat Arizona, it, it almost turned impossible. You know, Bayheim, Bay, and, and I give Bayheim credit. Everybody used to, you know, make fun of him for his cupcake schedule. He never used to leave Syracuse before conference play. They'd say, well, he. He's figured it out. If, he, if they hadn't played us last year non-conference, we, we ended up being a quad one win for them. They probably wouldn't have gotten into the tournament. Once they get in the tournament, they they typically do pretty well, it's especially when everybody's questioning whether they should be in or out. It always seems like they make a run. So when I when I ran into, went into uh, Coach Bam at the Final Four, you know he, he was adamant that he wanted to keep playing the series because without our quad one win that they had, they wouldn't have got in the tournament. So – I, you know, he's the one high major that scheduled us after we beat Arizona, so I think he knows the value of playing quality teams in non-conference. And he, he, they played here a couple times. It's been a while, but he's brought his teams here a few times, usually with a local 
or they like to play here if they if the NCAA tournament's going to be here and they get in early in the season. Yeah, that that's the other way to do it because Buffalo does get the NCAA tournament every four years, and some teams will come up. I, you know, I'm going to tell you it's going to be awful hard to get a team to come to Buffalo with the way we've been winning. I mean, we we literally probably called thirty to fifty schools, and they they basically just kind of laughed at us like like there's no no way in the world we're coming to play or we're we're paying to bring you here, start a series or anything. Nate, what about the idea of going to the KeyBank Center and maybe being able to put together a big gate and uh, and drawing a team that way, whereas uh, shoes on the other foot and uh, you're paying a school to come here and play you? I, I'd love to do that. I'm not sure that our budget uh, will. I mean, we could do it. I, I don't know. The way the scheduling works, you're not going to pay a high major to come here. Like, they don't get bought ever. So, like, like the, the high majors – scheduling works they buy x number of games some of them are buying like up to nine games which is crazy we only get 13 non-conference games anyway so if you're buying nine of them pretty much the other four are probably in your mte so like the high majors don't get bought ever they either play on a neutral floor or they buy or they play a series you know it, it may be a deal where you could get a series you know we'll play you Instead of complaining on our home floor, let's play you downtown Buffalo, and then we'll return it where we play at a neutral. You know, like I mean, I've we haven't talked, but like if you go to play DePaul, and instead of playing at DePaul's arena, you play it in some neutral site in Chicago, something like that, where maybe that would work. And we, I mean, we're pursuing all kinds of different stuff. I think the the best thing to do is to try to get them like like you said on a neutral. Now they're going to say Key Bank's not neutral. But even, like, I know St. Bonaventure used to play Syracuse and Rochester. I know they haven't done that for a while, I don't think. But even something like that. So we talked to Loyola about we talked to We talked to a few different teams about playing on a neutral. And we'll see. I mean, we're, we're getting creative with scheduling. We may play uh, somebody in Toronto. I know it's not here in Buffalo, but it, it's close, closer to us than it would be to them. So we might get, like, a team on a neutral floor like that, too. Hey, Coach, I'm, I'm curious, as well as UB's, doing this year nationally ranked to top 25 do you still feel that you're not as respected as some other teams in the top 25 and that you're still flying under the radar yeah i definitely think that i mean it's you know i mean if you look at the top 25 and you look like who's right ahead of us and right below us like most people would say uh we don't belong and i think uh you know, I say I think we, we haven't been there. Like, there's no history. Like, like this is the first time ever that we've even been ranked. So, I'm not I'm not mad about it. It kind of is what it is. You know, like like you get you've got to you got to earn it. We've got to do it for a while. We can't be a flash in the pan. And you know, I think that's why these this next ten days is huge for our program. If we can go in and I'm not saying we have to go three and zero, but you know you can go two and one and be respect respectable in the other one and prove that you belong with those. And I think I think it's a different ballgame then. Yeah, the thing about it too, whether it comes to polls or anything in sports that requires a vote, whether it's the Pro Bowl or All Star teams in baseball or whatever, it's whether or not it, how it sounds right. And uh, UB just doesn't sound right in the top twenty five yet, right. and it takes having you hear that name over and over and over again, Furman does not sound right in the top 25 in basketball. But there was a time not that long ago, and we were talking about this last week, Nate, when I when we sat down, is Gonzaga didn't sound right in, in basketball either. And you could take a bunch of schools and just be like, you know, 
it just doesn't sound right to the ear. But after a while, it does sound right. But I think Buffalo is a little different. You know, it's a major city to some extent. It's a huge university. It's a program that won a game in the NCAA tournament last year. I think there's a level above maybe a Furman or what Gonzaga was at the very beginning to where Buffalo is now to the average yeah, you know, person in the Midwest. So. Right. But how do you feel, yeah, how do you find yourself fighting that uh, stigma? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with what all you said. I think we we we're I mean we're a, a major city. We've got an NFL team and an NHL team. We used to have an NBA team that that left. So we we kind of you know we're Buffalo's basketball team. We've got a lot of sports fans here. I think we can build it maybe quicker than what some of those other places have done. And the university as a whole is a high major university. I mean, when you when you come, we're the largest public university in the state of New York. The state of New York is a really powerful state. And just because we're 100 years behind, you know, like I grew up in Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, I mean, they've been high major in sports the whole time. Well, New York was late catching up, but the, but the universities aren't that much different. We're an AAU institution. We've got 30,000-plus students go here. So the fact that the universities as qualified and as big-time as it is, and, and we've grown this thing here, fairly quickly over the last six years since Coach Hurley took over and I was with them and now we're in the top 25. I think, you know, if the administration decides that this is something they want to make big and keep this thing rolling in the right direction, I think this is something we can do uh, a little quicker than maybe what some of those other schools did for some of the reasons you guys brought up. Well, I guess last question, uh, how far do you think this can go? Or how, how far do you think this will go, Nate? I, mean, I, I, hope, it, I hope it keeps growing. I hope we're able to be one of those teams, one of those mid-major, what you would call as a mid-plus here shortly, that's in and out of the top 25. I mean, it's hard. when you think about it, there's 353 Division One teams. I mean, it's extremely difficult to, to stay in the top 25. I mean, you look, look at the schools that aren't in the top 25 right now. I mean, there's some really good basketball schools that are not in there. I mean, like Cincinnati's not in there. St. John's being in, you know, St. John's is nine and zero, and still is not in the top twenty-five in either the coaches or the A people. And they look at all the tradition they've got. So, I just think, you know, it, it's hard to it's people, you know, we're here and we're fourteen, extremely difficult to get there. But I think we can be one of those programs that's in and out based on one of the year, you know, which year it is. You know, like I said, it's just administration's got to decide how got to be there's got to be an investment i mean it, you can't we can't maintain we've got five seniors it's impossible to have five seniors every year that have come up through the program that's just statistically impossible really to, to do that so you're going to have better years than others but even in the down years if you're you know still pushing you know you could still be really good so i i listen i, I don't want to over speak here but i i i like where we've gotten this and i don't think it's a um I don't think it's an anomaly. I don't think it's something that people should question. Like, I mean, people will see when we play Syracuse. I mean, we were up with three minutes to go at Syracuse last year when, when, when the majority of this team was, you know, juniors and sophomores. And so we, we, we were four points down at Texas A&M. I mean, how we played Arizona, I think people, this isn't like a one-year deal or one or two-game thing here now. So I think, I think we can keep it growing it. And here's the other thing with basketball. It's not football. You don't need – football's got 85 scholarships. They need, like, 30 to 40 really good players. Like, basketball's got 
there's really good teams that have seven guys in the rotation. I mean, we're playing about nine right now. I mean, you, you only need a small number of really good players. And when you can lock into a small number of recruits, which is what I do, like we don't, I don't recruit 30 kids. Like I lock, lock into a few. And I think we can get them with the style that kids want to play fast. We're one of the fastest teams in the country. We play open. That's how kids want to play. I think you can keep this thing going pretty, pretty well here. Uh, I guess, a, not even I guess, a big development uh, or potentially big development in practice yesterday, and I'll let you go just for the record here. C.J. Massenberg, the, the star senior guard, averaging 17.5 points, uh, injured his finger in practice yesterday. Can you uh, give us an update on his situation? Yeah, I, we had an off day today. I was in the training room um, earlier when C.J. was there. It's, it's really swollen, but Knowing CJ, my guess would be play. I doubt he'll practice tomorrow, and it didn't look like he could even catch a ball right now. But he's a tough kid, and to be honest with you, like the only year CJ's played every year or every game all year was his freshman year. He missed games with it, whether it's a foot injury, mono, whatever. Like it just for whatever reason he hasn't made. He's already missed a game yet this year. If he doesn't play Saturday, we'll be all right. He's really good. We've got Javon Graves was really good Saturday at. Down in Ole, and Jeremy's been playing really well. Like we, we've got plenty of guys. You know, CJ's our leading scorer and rebounding the ball great. He means a lot to this program. But whether he plays or not, like we'll go out and play, and we'll we'll do what we do. And I, hopefully, my gut feeling is he does play. It won't be a hundred percent. Hopefully, he's getting closer to a hundred percent by Syracuse and Marquette. But my guess would be he'd play on Saturday. Javon Graves, an impressive three assists uh, to zero uh, turnover. Uh, his assist to turnover uh, ratio is a 3.0, and he's averaging a steal a game. So not too shabby there. Not not too uh, – pretty nice no, to have him he, uh, coming off uh, the bench for you as a sophomore. Yeah, yeah, and he, he started the game four for four from three, and I think he ended five for six down at St. Bonaventure. And I shouldn't say covering off good. the bench. He started nine games. But what I mean is to have him uh, filling in for C.J. Massenburg uh, with any void that might be there, uh, C.J. Graves or um, Javon Graves is uh, nice to have. No, it's true. We've got, we've got good young talent coming up through, and our freshmen are starting to come around too. So we'll, we'll be all right whether C.J. plays or not. But, I, you know, obviously I'd much rather have him playing than not playing. Well, thanks for joining us here. UB men's basketball coach Nate Oates. Uh, I know it's busy and it's a heady time for your program, and people there at, on campus aren't used to this, uh, and everybody is in uncharted territory there, whether it be uh, your sports information people or it's uh, the fans or the administration. or I mean, it's everything is new here, and uh, it's exciting time, so I'm sure your time, uh, your free time is being eaten up by a lot of things that didn't used to be, so I appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. I enjoy it. Enjoy listening to you guys uh, in the drive some days. So you guys have a good night. All righty. Nate Thank Oates, you. UB men's basketball coach. Loyal listener, too, apparently. Yeah, well, when I met him, uh, I met him for the first time uh, here recently, and he mentioned that he was a loyal athletic subscriber and reader. So how about that? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. He, was, uh, he and uh, Felicia Leggett-Jack, the UB women's basketball coach, uh, I wrote the story for the uh, the athletic does a persons of the year uh, for each market, and uh, I wrote the story and I selected them well, with some help from our editors, and I decided it should be uh, the UB basketball programs, and I wasn't going to select one over the other because uh, 
Felicia Leggett-Jack leading the women to a Sweet 16 uh, appearance in the NCAA tournament, and uh, they have the number one scorer in the country in Sierra Dillard. I mean, they're doing great things with their program. And uh, so to select Nate Oates uh, for being ranked and for making it into the tournament three out of the last four years, I didn't see that as being that much further ahead in, than what Felicia Leggett-Jack has accomplished with the women's program. So I named them co-persons of the year. Um for the athletics so I'll, I'll tweet that story out i've been tweeting it out this week but if you're listening to the show and you want to check that out i'll, I'll tweet it out nice and fresh for you but uh, when we come back we're going to have greg gabriel 30-year nfl scout uh, with the new york giants and the chicago bears he's going to join us to talk about what it takes to identify and acquire a number one receiver in the nfl something that the bills will obviously have on their to-do list for this offseason and we'll talk some more about ub basketball men and women and uh, we're going to talk to Lindsey Darkangelo about what's going on with the Buffalo Buttes and their coaching situation when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsey, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsey.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. It's the Tim Graham Show. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Other than it's a silly, I'm doing the wanking motion right here. It's a silly, it's a waste of time. Obviously, it's an entertaining thought to the people here in Buffalo and to everybody else around the country because it's stupid. Take more calls. You want to call in and talk about uh, and defend this or any other silliness? 270, 1270, The Tim Graham Show. Shop Eastern. 1270, The Fan. And on the Fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. In studio with us today is Lindsey Darkangelo, the Dark Angel. What was your auto correct when you were driving? Something Angelo. Lindsey Dark, D-A-R-Q-U-E, Angelo, and in studio, I-N-N, like it was the Dark Angelo Inn, like Inn and Resort. Here yeah, I tried a little. Yeah. I tried a, a little experiment today. I wanted to plug the show, and I was driving, and so I just spoke it in, and I said, "I," I oh. and I, I announced that it was an experiment. I wasn't going to go back and correct it, so I just wanted to see what it was going to be. Today's Kim Graham show, Lindsay Dark D A R Q U E, separate word Angelo in <laughs> studio, in studio. Somebody right. somebody tweeted that would make a great alter ego. I may have to consider that. 4 to 6 p.m. on 1270, as in there's a time, 1270, <laughs> colon, a.m. So is that, 110? Was this like talk yeah. to text? Yes. Okay. It yeah, it worked pretty well. Yeah. yeah, it worked out all right. It's not helpful. I got the point across. So, Lindsay, you follow the Buffalo Buttes. I do. The local team in the National Women's Hockey League, uh, the general manager, Nick Fatty, uh, made a decision last week that surprised a lot of people. Firing uh, head coach Rick Sealing and his assistant. Um, what do you know about it? What can you tell us? Because I think a lot of people were scratching their heads. It didn't seem to add up or make sense. Uh, Rick Sealing, of course, a former Saber. He's in town. People know him. And I think when you know somebody, you think, well, gee, that's not supposed to ever happen. Rick Sealing probably. And I think people also like to think, well, it's women's hockey. Anybody. You should be a guy who used to play in the NHL should be able to handle that, <laughs> right? Yeah, as if it's just that simple. But what can you tell us about uh, the decision there? Well, it it 
it appeared it appeared as though it it came out of nowhere. But I think I, I think after talking to Nick and and the Buttes being at three and three, the organization as a whole, and and he talks to Kim Pugu a lot. I mean, she weighs in just as much as she does with her other teams on the Buttes. And they felt that the team was underperforming because on on paper the roster is is one of the best in the league, and they 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 have exhibition matches in between their league games, and they were only up just above five hundred in those. And he felt they needed a change and a spark, and and so that was the decision going forward. <clears throat> uh, I found it interesting that uh, Cody McCormick was hired as the head coach and. And Nick serving as the assistant coach, and they're only going to stay on till the end of the year. Uh, they're going to ride the season out and then and then search for a, a, a permanent replacement at head coach. But um, they wanted to change things up. I mean, their goaltending is is as it should be with Nicole Hensley and and Shannon. Well, let me let me stop you there because okay. we'll get into the. Uh, I'm going off on a tangent. No, no, that's okay. I think that, and I just I guess want to make a point more than ask a question. But I think, too, and I don't know if it's because it's women's sports, um, people, I think, assumed some scandal. Like they're making, <laughs> right. they're making a wholesale coaching change here right before the season starts. What did these guys do? What happened? Well, I mean, it, in, it was mid, it's mid-season that they made this change. So, yeah, of course, people are like, well, what happened? What, what was said? What was done? But really, it's, it really comes down to the fact that, that Nick really believes in this team. And his goal from when I, I profiled him back over the summer for The Athletic, he wants to win a championship. And he believes that this roster that he built is set up to do that. And and the coaches to him weren't uh, either living up to that or they maybe they weren't putting enough energy into it. I, I don't really know from that because he didn't really say that much. All he said and what I got from him was that he felt they could be doing better and and so they made the decision to let them go i misspoke there i'm having a problem misspeaking all throughout this show i I talk about the guy coming off the bench who started all nine games for ub in the last segment now i'm talking about this move happening before the season in my mind i'm thinking this is like having two half seasons like now they're starting a brand new season really uh and they have to probably think if they want it they want it to be that way starting fresh hitting the reset button um what can you tell us about Cody McCormick as a coach? I, I don't know much of him as a coach. I You know, he just took over. I mean, they won this past Saturday. They had their, they had their next game and against the um, Connecticut Whale, and they won uh, 4-3. I mean, was it 4-3? I got to go back and look at that. But they won. And uh, they're now – they've moved – you know, they were 3-3. Three and three. They're now 4-3 in the standings, and – Nick did say something interesting, which I thought when I spoke to him that he said that they wanted to get back to having fun, and uh, and just see what happened with the rest of the season. So I don't know if if maybe things got uh, monotonous and you know whatnot during practices, during game plans, or or whatever. But the players after the game were were really happy with the result. They're really happy with the direction things are going, and it, it seems that that he's trying to just get them back on track, having fun again. All right, we're going to talk about this some more later in the show because uh, we're going to hit this break. We're going to have Greg Gabriel to come on 
uh, here in a couple of minutes. Uh, he's scheduled to come on and talk to us about how you identify and acquire a number one receiver in the NFL, which was a topic we talked about last week. He agrees with me, by the way. That's why I had him on. Disagrees with James Lofton, yes, that there are not. Every team does not have a number one receiver. Uh, but Greg Gabriel, he was uh, former Chicago Bears uh, college scouting director and uh, has a couple of Super Bowl rings from his time as a scout with the New York Giants. Uh, Buffalo guy, he's going to join us uh, to talk about that. But I think that the Buttes is um, an underappreciated topic in this town. They're an un- underappreciated team in this town. So I think it's good to not just pigeonhole them to one segment anyway. So we're going to talk to them, uh, talk about them in both hours, and we're going to get into uh, that some more uh, later on in the show. Uh, but now we're going to hit a break uh, on the Tim Graham Show, which is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. The Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Wolf Mother. I'm impressed. Yes. Very nice. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. We've already heard from UB men's basketball coach Nate Oates. We've had some Buffalo Buttes talk with Lindsay D'Arcangelo. We are an eclectic sports radio show. We cover all the different topics. We have not talked about Bills or Sabres yet. Lest anyone think we won't do that, because joining us on the phone right now is Greg Gabriel, 30 years an NFL scout, Bishop Newman High and Canisius College grad, got his start with the Buffalo Bills under Norm Pollum, was with the New York Giants for 17 years where he won a couple of Super Bowl rings, and most recently the Chicago Bears scouting director. Greg Gabriel's joining us, and he's going to tell us how to identify and acquire a number one receiver because it's just that easy. You just draw it up, and you go out and get one. Right, Greg? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's the easiest job in football. Just go get one. Oh, thanks for joining <laughs> us, Greg. Uh, Thank you for having me. So I think that everybody can watch the Bills and see that they have a number of needs, and they're probably going to have single-digit uh, drafting position. Um they also need some help on the offensive line. They could use another cornerback opposite of Tredavious White. They could use some interior defensive line help. All kinds of needs all over the place. A punter, they're not going to draft that, but they could use a punter. Um, but I think that when people watch Josh Allen play, they salivate at the idea of what he would look like if he had a number one receiver who could stretch the field and give defenses something to think about. Uh when you see the Bills play, what are your thoughts about their needs at receiver? Well, you know, Tim, it, it's the whole offense has needs. It's not just the wide receiver position. And you could argue that the wide receivers could play better if the offensive line would block better and the running backs would run better. But, you know, it, that's just not going to happen. I think. You know, when you said they're going to probably have a single-digit draft choice in the first round, you go out and take a, a wide receiver at that position. I, you know, I don't know if that's the wisest thing. Obviously, you got to say, look at who is there at, at, at the pick they're going to end up having versus, you know, who else is on the board. And, that you know, when you look at, say, offensive line versus wide receiver, offensive line is, is the better value pick because theoretically – 
you know, you, you've, you've got to take care of the quarterback, and to take care of the quarterback, you've got to have a strong offensive line. You, you really win games with a quarterback and offensive line and a defensive line. Then after that, you go out and get the supporting cast. Now you can use the, the blueprint that the Bears have used and that the Rams have used the last uh, two seasons. You know, they had, you know, go back to Jared Goff as a rookie, didn't play uh, very well. When Jeff Fisher was the head coach, Fisher got let go. They brought in Sean McVay. And the first thing Sean McVay did and, and management, the front office, was go out and get some people to, to help Jared Goff. And all of a sudden, he became a better quarterback. He looked like a bust as a rookie. And then he's a, a pro bowler after his, his uh, second year. So, you know, there's various ways you can do it. You can go out free agency and get it. You can try the draft. Probably the easiest way is free agency. But looking at it, you know, next year, who's going to be available? I don't think it's a strong free agent class at the wide receiver position as this year. But there are some good names that could be available. We're not going to know till next spring because these guys could resign. But some names are, are Golden Tate, Randall Cobb, ex-Bill Chris Hogan, uh, Quincy and New Ride, I don't know how to pronounce his name with the Jets. Uh, Russell Shepard with the with the Giants. I mean, there's names out there, but are they legitimate number ones? Maybe Cobb is, and 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 I would even argue against that. And how many teams have a legitimate number one? Really, not a whole lot. Well, we, look at the, the, the Greg, Rams what, are, Let me stop you there because this was a big okay. argument we had on the air last year or last year. Last week, I'm I'm misspeaking all day today. Uh, we had uh, last week. What too? I saw the number. You were, your shows from six to five. <laughs> yeah, I tweeted that earlier. I don't. I'm having trouble. Yeah, has somebody uh, I'm struggling? Yeah, the flamethrower's mother tweeted at us that she loves the Tim Graham show, but she can't dedicate 23 hours to listen to it. Um, Greg, how do you define a number one receiver? Because it was my uh, impression last week, or my opinion that I put forth, and I think Mike Rodak mostly agreed with me, is that not every team has a number one receiver. And what what brought it up was the idea that Zay Jones, because Kelvin Benjamin is no longer on the team, uh, then becomes the Bills' number one receiver and has a chance to establish himself as the number one receiver, to which Mike and I said, Zay Jones isn't a number one receiver. What is a number one receiver? Uh, I, I was able to scramble and get James Lofton to come on the show, and he kind of disagreed with us because uh, we were saying that you know Adam Thielen is not a number one receiver. Wes Welker is not a number one receiver. Just because they get all the targets and might lead the NFL in receiving doesn't make them a number one receiver. So what, what's your definition of the, the position? Well, I agree with you, and Adam Thielen is a slot receiver. And See? how can a slot receiver be a number one receiver? He's number one target. But that's different than being a number one receiver. Exactly. And I'll go back and say that there, there's, you know, half the teams in the league don't have a, a, a legitimate number one. You know, I started to say a second ago, okay, you look at the Bears' offense, Kansas City, Philly, even the Rams, it's not the same type of offense, but KC and, and Philly and, and uh, the Bears are pretty much the same offense. But none of those teams have a legitimate number one. Tyreek Hill's not a number one receiver. He's a favorite target, but and and the the favorite target, the number one receiver on that team is Travis Kelsey. He's a tight end. But the theory behind those offenses is you spread the you can spread the ball around, and each week you may have a number one target based on what the defense is doing. And so you know 
you can get by with a bunch of number twos. And you know, you look at the at, at the Bills situation. I agree with you. You know, he's he's uh, not a number one receiver. You know, he's Say uh, Jones probably at best, and he's a long way away from even being a legitimate number two. But I think that that's what his upside is, a good number two receiver in the league if he, in fact, develops the way he or they hope he develops. You know, it takes time. You've got to learn the intricacies of, of uh, running routes at the NFL level, uh, be able to get separation on a consistent basis, obviously catch the ball good, and uh, run after the catch. You know, that's a lot of things to do, and, he's, and so far he hasn't succeeded. Is he the favorite receiver right now because he's probably the most experienced? Yeah, but that that's a long way away from being a legitimate number one. We're in conversation with Greg Gabriel, a 30-year NFL scout, most recently with the Chicago Bears as their scouting director, a couple of Super Bowl rings with the New York Giants. And uh, Greg, um, the idea of a number one receiver and what it may do for the rest of this Bills offense, uh, obviously it's where fans – uh, want to gravitate to, and the media also. It's it's a primary position. It is what you go for in your fantasy draft. It's the guys whose stats you really want to see get racked up. Uh, big dynamic plays, even if you're not into fantasy sports, these are the guys who generally will electrify the stadium on a week-to-week basis uh, with the help of, uh, of a quarterback who can get them the ball. Um, but And I know that you alluded to it uh, earlier in this segment. Uh, you can over commit or overspend or give too much capital, whether it be money or draft position, to these uh, number one receivers. And I know that uh, your your feelings on the Sammy Watkins uh, trade and draft um, and how that really hurt the Bills, but what is the danger, I guess? Uh, do, are you then, are you more of a of the of the thinking that you get that number one receiver, or you can still find them in the second, early in the second round? Well, yeah, I, I think you can if you get the right person. And he, he's got to obviously have the physical traits. He's got to have, you know, the size, the speed, the hands. But it, it's lots on him to uh, – it's on the coaches to develop him, to try to get him to be the best that he can be. But it's also on him to do the same thing. He's got to have the football character and the drive to be the best player he can be. Uh, but I'll go back to what I said before. You can get by with a bunch of good number twos and have uh, a great offense. And, and you know, look at look at the uh, the Rams. They they don't have a legitimate number one, but they've got a great offense. But then you know, one of the other great offenses in the league is the New Orleans Saints, and they got Michael Thomas, who was a second round draft choice. He is a legitimate number one, and so. You know, I think it's it's a matter of semantics, and and you know, what are you going to say as a number one? You know, going back because you had James Lofton, and he was arguing the point. You go back to when James Lofton was playing with the Bills. On paper, they had two number ones, and James Lofton and Andre Reid. But you know, was James Lofton at that point of his career a real number one? He was really more of a number two, and Andre Reid was was the legitimate number one. How much money can a team save if you go the route of multiple number twos versus the number one? And the reason I ask that is because the number one, when it comes up to free agency, always seems to have a ton of money thrown at him. Maybe you don't even get to keep him. 
Uh, so you draft the guy, he's around for five years, and he goes off to another team for a ton of money versus the number twos who are a little bit uh, more below the radar. Well, you know, when you get into a contract negotiation, now you're going to have a whole different argument as as far as who's the number one, who's the number two, who's the number three. Because if a guy has a lot of catches, the agents can say he's a number one. So, and, you know, how badly do you want him? And, you know, so again, it, it, it's a matter of of wordplay is trying to figure it out. But, you know, look, looking at, at the contracts that Sammy Watkins got in Kansas City, uh, Allen Robinson got here in Chicago, you know, you could you want a quality receiver on your football team, you've got, you've got to pay for him. There's no question. Or you draft him and you develop him, but you can't expect him to come in. You know, Zay Jones, perfect example. I mean, here's a guy who caught well over 100 passes his final year at East Carolina, yet he struggled to make that transition. Part of it is you're playing with a rookie quarterback and you got a poor offensive line, but I think he's part of the equation also. Speaking of drafting and developing a, a potential number one how much have you followed anthony johnson up here at ub and what's your early feel on uh, where he might fit into this draft well i think the worst case scenario is that he's a number two i fought, i've seen every game this year and you know i think he has got the talent to be a very good nfl receiver um couple things I don't like, but you know, the, the real key to where he gets drafted is what's his workout going to be because the tape speaks for itself. He's been very productive two years in a row. Um, he's a big play threat, but where he gets drafted, the stopwatch being that he's a wide receiver and it's a stopwatch driven position, the, what he runs in the 40 and, and, and his broad jump, vertical jump, that's going to have a lot to say whether you know he gets in the conversation as being a first round pick, or he's going to be a solid two. But I think you know, to, just looking at his play over the course of two years, he's damn good. And if, if you don't take him in the two, you're never going to get him in the third. Greg Gabriel, thank you for joining us, coming on here and uh, giving us some knowledge on this position and uh, how difficult it is, but also all the different ways you can skin the cat and uh, the Bills. Uh, Bills have a bunch of different ways that they can approach this, uh, and I'm sure they're going to get some input from Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator. Sean McDermott's going to have some say in it. But Brandon Bean, with all the salary cap uh, space that they have, and it looks like they're going to have some attractive draft capital, uh, can uh, can accomplish a lot this offseason. Well, yeah, they should be able to do a lot in this upcoming offseason. Uh, hopefully the decisions they make are the right decisions. All right, Greg Gabriel. And a longtime NFL scout, Bishop Newman High product, the pri- the pride of Bishop Newman. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more about the Buffalo Bills and their number one wide receiver needs or their receiver needs in general. We're going to talk about the Sabres. We're going to talk more about the Buttes with Lindy, Lindsay Darkangelo here and uh, get into uh, some of their decisions on uh, why uh, they made the wholesale coaching change last week and what's going on uh, with the team as they uh, turn the corner and, and uh, try to improve, try to win a championship. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Here on the Tim Cram Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285 9555 
Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. It's Tim Graham, the Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Or visit Lindsay D'Arcangelo here in the studio, the Sports Radio 1270 The Fan Studio. She's been here for the first hour of the show. She'll be here for the second hour of the show. Not 23 hours, as I tweeted i said the show was going to be on from six to five today and i've been mangling everything so far i've had a guy who comes uh, who's who starts every game for ub coming off the bench i had uh the show being on from six to five the butte coaches at the beginning of yeah before the season started we're halfway through the season well there was another one last segment i did with greg gabriel where i messed up i don't know you can't, you can't trust anything I say today to be factual. Get a second source on anything that comes out of my mouth today. Mike Rodak, my big crooked co-host. My big crooked Kodak, I almost said. <laughs> Kodachrome. We have that ready to go. Kids get used some, to make fun of me for get that. Get some uh, Kodachrome by uh, Paul Simon. I played soccer when I was probably, I don't know. Soccer. Seven or eight years old, yeah. And you had your names in the back of the jerseys, even though it people was, thought it said Kodak. Well, yeah, no, they would make fun of it, fun of me for it. Like, I remember some kid, I was throwing the ball in bounds, and he saw it and said, "Ah, Kodak." <laughs> so that scarred me clearly for many, many years. Oh, that's, that's what's wrong with you? Yeah, you couldn't use a camera. Road <laughs> Duck was another one. That Did was, you wear Nikes? Did you wear Nikes? I forget. So you were Kodak and had your Nikon. You were like the watermelon your team, so we had like pink jerseys, I think. Good for you. Yeah, we were the watermelons. Jonah Bronstein's here. Good He's uh, firing this thing off for Periscope. I retweeted it. You can. Mike, Mike did not. You can see a Periscope. Was I supposed to? Audio and or visual, the whole thing. Video stream of this show and all previous Tim Graham shows. In color. Yes, in Technicolor. Or if you want to download it later, you can listen to a podcast of this show on iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever. Lindsay D'Arcangelo, she was giving us the uh, the straight dope on the Buffalo Buttes coaching situation, and that's where we stopped. And I want to talk more about this team because the Pagulas put some money into this team. Big splash at the goaltender. And... Um, where do you think this team is right now, Lindsay? You follow the Buttes. Uh, they made a coaching change because there was a feeling that they should be performing better. Um, what, what's the transition here? What do we see? They're talking about having more fun, too much pressure. I don't know. I, I think it comes down to their offensive output. I think that's where they felt 
something was lacking. And I do want to correct myself. Uh, the Buttes won over the weekend three to one against the Connecticut Wales. What did you say? I had said four to three. I'm not the only one. Three. Yep. Isn't that a song? You slighted both teams. <laughs> <laughs> you did. They are now four and three in the standings. So there's that. But yeah, I think it's about their offensive output. I mean, their goaltending is solid. They have the the least goals against in the league with twelve, and uh, they have uh, Nicole Hensley and they have Shannon. Uh, I gotta get this right because I always mess up her name. Zabras in net, and uh, Hensley's. If you say it really fast, you get it right. Yeah. If you try to say it slowly, you're just bound to that's, mess up a that's syllable. Good advice. Zabras. Uh, is she the most famous she is. player on the team? I think she's one. She's one of the most famous players in the league. I mean, her signing—you remember—was a absolutely huge splash. She is a superstar summer. in Canada. Um, she has only played in men's leagues. It's, it was a big deal uh, for her coming here, and she's also actually had to adjust her game coming from the men's. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. How does that? Uh, because it's slower. I mean, it's like a it, a guy who uh, goes from hitting. Um, 95 mile an hour fastballs exactly. to facing changeups all the exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah, if you're going from one speed of the game, you know, the guy's game is a little bit faster. You know, shots come off the stick a little bit differently. Um, she's had to adjust her game. She's had to sort of, you know, doing something your entire life, playing with Ben your entire life as she has, you know, your your reflexes are trained a certain way. So she's had to sort of figure that out. And I and I think that was, was something that, that she sort of – gotten better at as as we've reached almost the mid-season point and um but i mean her save percentage is still 93 percent uh the other goalie nicole hensley who's on the u.s olympic team her save percentage is 88 percent. i mean they're 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 solid at goalie they're stacked um so that's why i think it's the offense that that kind of needs a a little bit of a, a spark in order for them to uh to get going here but um They'll figure it out. I, I really believe they will. They're they're the roster's too talented not to. We've had an eclectic show so far. We've had uh, Butte's talk. We've had Nate Oates of the number fourteen ranked UB men's basketball program. Greg Gabriel, thirty year NFL scout, was on to talk about the Bills. Jonah, do you want to bring up any odd sports that you've been meaning to? Oh, I think we got through all my favorites. We haven't even gotten to Water Bobby's, Bobby's vape selections. That's usually in the first hour, and we're in the second hour. We haven't That's, even brought that up. What yet. are we vaping today, Bobby? Uh, it's the it's kind of different flavors. Um, what? My usual what? mix. I'm trying to think. Uh, Don't make us beg. Peach, peach lemonade again. Oh, is that, That's yeah. like the foundation flavor. Yes. Like we have deer outside. It's a little bit. Again? Oh, look. The guy's looking right in the window. Dasher and Blitzen. And <laughs> that son of a bitch. Walking by. <laughs> Are you going to do a candy cane flavor for the holidays? Yeah, I never thought about that. That actually kind of Why not? Sounds like it t- would taste good. It's like the Kaisertown Zoo outside of this window. <laughs> Isn't it? Just walking by. I love it when they just come through. Like we're, yeah, they just come hang out. That's the name of Bobby's, Bobby's listeners. Uh, vape Lounge, the Kaisertown <laughs> the Zoo. The Kaisertown Zoo. <laughs> That's what I thought you were saying. <laughs> Talk about fantasy sports. How I beat you this past week. Yeah, well, here's the thing. And it's going to sound like, uh, oh, nobody wants to talk about that because I lost. But fantasy talk on the radio is one of my biggest turnoffs. Yes. If I hear people talking fantasy sports, especially about their own teams, like if they want to dole out some advice, at least maybe the listener can get something out of yeah. that. But for me to sit here and talk about my fantasy team, nobody it's, cares. It's I think Jonah bragging. loves when I do. 
It's just bragging. Well, yeah. Jonah and I right now are destined to uh, meet in a championship. What did next I just week. say? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. are dense. You haven't talked about UB women's basketball yet. Jonah can weigh in on that. Yeah, UB women's basketball. A couple of uh, a tough loss. Yeah, they lost the game against which is Dayton. Kind of crazy how it's gotten to the standard to be where a team loses for the second time all year, and it's like, eh, I guess they're down this year. Yeah. No, no. Where do you think UB well, women they're stand? Still Sierra, Summer Hemphill, so yeah, that's, that's a big thing that was for them. A big Sierra loss. Dellard's leading the country in scoring. That doesn't necessarily mean much in terms of your team's success. Because she needs you, help. Yeah, that absolutely. can be a bad thing. Absolutely, one player shooting too much. She's and I don't know if that's the case here, but she does need help. And Lindsay, you follow the WNBA closely, I do. and you've done a lot of writing on the WNBA. I and have. Uh, Lindsay, uh, she's my teammate at the athletic and so i'm uh, pumping her tires a little bit but she's one of the best in the country i think in terms of covering the wnba and women's basketball in general uh what are your thoughts on sierra dillard as a professional player we couldn't come up with a big four woman who's gone on to play in the wnba uh or has been drafted uh so this would be a pretty be big deal do you but big, do you think she belongs deal. there yes i do and uh I talked to Kara Lawson before the season started, this before this college basketball season started, and uh, she, you know she's she's a former WNBA player, went to Tennessee. She's a works for uh, ESPN, covering college basketball now, men's and women's. She uh, she basically said that she sees uh, Sierra getting drafted in the in the second round. Graham Show, Sports Radio, twelve seventy, the Fan, and on the Fan's app, free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. Bobby's tweeting about himself. No Kodachrome? No, I'm Couldn't not. find Paul Simon's uh, Kodachrome? <laughs> oh, no. For I forgot. I have it up. Rotochrome? I have it up, and I will... Uh, how about the next break? We, bring, we, yes. go, we go out with it. Yes. Making a note so I don't forget. Where are we... With uh, Josh Allen as uh, your quarterback, Lindsey Darkangelo. You're a Buffalo Bills fan. Where are you in terms of uh, how enamored you are with him? The whole thing. The fact that he runs. He's actually just a different version right now of Tyrod Taylor. He runs a lot. He doesn't throw for a lot of yards. Oh, well, I should say. Tyrod Taylor, but with more interceptions. Tyrod Taylor didn't throw interceptions. And better throws, I think. Than Tyrod. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of product, you take a look at the yeah. yards. He's Lower run. completion he, percentage. He could run for as many yards as he throws on a weekly basis. I'm not enamored with him at all. But at all? And no, I mean, I'm not. Do you find like, him entertaining? I find him. You know what I like? Are you encouraged? I like his attitude, and yes, I am encouraged. And I do think he wants to learn and grow and get better. I do believe that, and I do think he has improved from his first uh, first few games before he got hurt to to the second half of the season. Now I. It's, I've heard, and let me ask you guys this, because I've heard people say that they don't think he's improved at all. And where, where do you stand on that? Because I do think he has improved. I, you know who I think has improved? And are, I think they're improving together, and it's making both of them look good. Brian Dable is finding ways to get him productive 
And they do call some of these are designed runs. Now, mm-hmm. they don't always work, but there have been de- called quarterback draws involved in here. This isn't entirely Josh Allen scrambling for yards, but it's probably 75 to 85 percent him scrambling for yards. But some of it is Brian Dable calling plays that allow him to do that. Um, these jet sweeps uh, that they've been that they were using with Isaiah McKenzie last week, the reverse pass. Now, that's not something that you're going to use on a weekly basis. Uh, but I think Brian Dable is getting more comfortable with what he has, and that was an adjustment period for him to learn which plays to call based on the personnel because his offensive line can't keep a team at bay for three seconds. Um, that LaShawn McCoy is not uh, going to be able to uh, give you 80 yards a week. So anyway, that's just my take on it. I feel like this that it's there's some synergy coming together. I do think he has improved. Um, I know one of the things that Sean McDermott mentioned today, and just as an aside, I think this was one of the best days from McDermott in terms of being expansive and honest with his answers. He seemed to be in a pretty good mood, which is strange given they've lost their last two games. But I think as the season's sort of gotten away from them and as they've gone into evaluation mode and there seems to be less stress on him and less, you know, immediacy and trying to win right away. And you know where I I think, and just to play off that, Mike, Mm -hmm. I think the good mood where it comes from, and this is just me as an observer, Mm -hmm. but also into talking to some people and it's a vibe, is that it's kind of okay that they're not winning. Mm -hmm. They are showing signs of encourage. There are reasons to be excited. They're competitive. The people that you want to see grow are growing. Mm -hmm. Right. And the fact that they're losing is kind of okay because it helps the draft position. They're not blowing anything by not yes they would love to establish some wins it's all about the culture you want your 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 young quarterback to experiencing to experience wins but you're also seeing the way Josh Allen handles his losses and it's what we've heard from him coming out of Wyoming they seem to eat him up mm-hmm. he seems to be genuinely eaten up by these losses and that's encouraging too so he seemed to be looser today and one of the things Sean McDermott yes and one of the things that he mentioned was well Basically, the line of questioning was whether Josh Allen is running too fast, whether he's not letting plays develop and just taking off. Running too soon. Running too soon. Let's, let's, we, sh- we, we should, should want him to run fast. We want him to run <laughs> fast. <laughs> um, and one of the things he said is ever since he came back from the injury, which was week 12 when he returned, uh, McDermott doesn't believe that he has taken off too quickly or too soon. And the suggestion therein was that before – he was injured that perhaps he was. And I would agree. I think there were instances where, like the Vikings game, um, Packers game, where he was probably running too fast or or not. Um, and being reckless about it. Right, being as reckless. As much as we love to see him hurdle over Anthony Barr, that was not a smart play. Yes. It and made a great highlight. I think he has been choosier about that. And he's been running more, but I think the, the circumstances have called for it. And that's what Sean McDermott said. And in fact, Josh Allen himself today said that, you know, the Chargers game, for instance, was the one he brought up where he didn't really know what he was doing with some of the protections and and hut routes and and stuff like that. Um, I, I do think he's gotten better with that. I, I think the Dolphins game, to be honest, was probably his best game of the season, even though he lost it. I think that 
showed the most in terms of his ability to, to throw on the run, make plays out of the pocket. Imagine how different we would think about Josh Allen, or the country would think about Josh Allen, if right. Charles Clay catches that pass. He is, you're talking about, he'd be in the rotation of the, on ESPN, mm-hmm. uh, on NFL Network. They would be talking about him more of, hey, don't forget about, yeah, we're talking about Baker Mayfield and Saquon Barkley as the Rookie of the Year candidates, but let's not sleep on Josh Allen. That drop pass, they lose the game, and it knocks him back down into the off the radar uh, right. a little bit more. I think that he'd have a lot more attention on him if just if only for Charles Clay catching that pass. And I thought that he was all right on Sunday. There I, I, was a huge deal made about me saying that Sam Darnold outplayed Josh Allen, which I think is very fair to say. I mean, Sam Darnold had one turnover compared to three for Josh Allen. He had the game-winning touchdown drive, whereas Josh Allen threw the interception at the end of the game. His stats weren't – I mean, he completed 67% of his passes compared to 50 for Josh Allen, not for as many yards. He also was playing on an arena-sized field because the average starting position was the Bills – or the the Jets, I think, 47-yard line or something like that. So his yards were tamped down by that. I thought Darnold was the better quarterback, but then, of course, Bills fans get up in arms – and they go to defend Josh Allen. And I think that's a all right, that's all right. Let's maybe silly or but maybe a little over. But that's what we have to get used to as journalists right. because people want to defend their guy. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I think that's a good sign because the fans are getting into Josh Allen. Right. But in terms of imagine like what it was like with Tyrod Taylor, everybody was split down the middle. Right, and it, it, for it's some good reason, to have somebody the, that they're the excited about. There is that. Well, I'm not giving him enough credit well, for, get used to it. for what he's been doing <laughs> given what he has around him, the offensive line receivers. Yes. I think it's actually the opposite. I think if you do that to a quarterback and you essentially say that he's infallible, then you're almost being too hard on him. In my case, I'm saying he made mistakes. He was not the better quarterback. But I'm, I'm in doing so, I'm actually giving him more slack. I'm saying, look, he's okay. He's a rookie. Like some of the the mistakes that he made were okay. Now, granted, he was repeating some mistakes from earlier in the season. You know, the Packers play where he's rolling out to his right and just chucks it up to Jair Alexander, and then the play on Sunday where he's rolling to his right and he chucks it up. Uh, I forget the the cornerback for the Jets, but was intercepted again in that one. That was like a mirror image of of the same play, and he can't be doing that again and again. But to to interpret me saying that. He was outplayed by Sam Darnold to me saying he's not going to be any good. He sucks, et cetera. They got that the Bills got the wrong right. draft, got the wrong That's TV. not true. That's what the, that's what they think you're saying, but essentially. That's how, that's how it's it's read sometimes, and yeah. I don't totally understand that. Well, that's how it's, it's going to be. Right. That's but there it. is a, a rush to defend him, I think, too quickly than what is good for him. Sure. Well, and let's just say that just that, – when I say that it's good for the fans to be all in on this guy, there were there have been players that they shouldn't have been, and they were too. I mean, just like Sean Merriman, like me saying uh, back in the day that I didn't think Sean Merriman was going to work, and right. they wanted me fired. You oh, know, yeah, because he... because the Bills need there are a lot of fans who need it to work. Right, we need this. We need something. Right, or to say that Lashawn McCoy is made, and that's something I actually wanted to ask Greg Gabriel about, and we didn't get to is where he. What he sees when he watches LaShawn McCoy. Now, Eric Wood insists that when he sees LaShawn McCoy, that he there's plenty left in the tank, and it comes down to blocking schemes, and that's why you know. Uh, but a guy like Chris Ivory is able to get yardage 
And it's because Chris Chris Ivory will not have a zero yard run. He'll run right. for two or three. He'll run straight up. He'll and, get at least two or three and yeah. then break the seven or nine yard run, and his average will be sustained. Whereas LaShawn McCoy is looking for twelve on every play. Well, it looks like to this. I don't know if it's just this season or or what, but it looks like he's he's not decisive. He he sees no. the hole and he he jukes from left to right and it, it, by then the hole's clo- closed and the ability I don't think there's a hole in the first place. Right. Well, there's sometimes not. when there is a hole, he still does it. He's like, looking for home runs on every play yeah. when he should be just trying to make solid contact. It's, right. it's a mixture of all of the above. I, the the holes are not there when he's getting the ball. He, he's looking for too much, and I think when he's getting the ball in space, which we've seen a few times. The ability to make guys miss has diminished. I'm not saying it's gone, but it's diminished. You and, say that, and I haven't heard anybody else say that, and I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but Mike has been saying that all year long, since training camp. And I don't necessarily say you're wrong, but you really are convinced that he's an old man. He's 30 years old. I, I've seen old running backs. It's not, again, it's not, it, this happens. Like, he, he shouldn't be buried for it, I agree, but... It's going to happen at some point. I think it is happening. It's not going to happen one day where it's like, oh, he's great and now he sucks. This is the decline. There is a a, a middle ground where we see things that used to happen not happen anymore. Him making guys miss in the open field. Him ha- showing a burst where he can get away from guys. I just haven't seen that to the degree that I saw his first year, two years, or, or even last year. That's my case on him. And you brought up a, a great stat last night that Football Outsiders yeah. of all the, I think it was 40 running backs in the NFL with at least 100, 100 carries, carries this year, he is ranked 40th, dead last, in terms of their gradings, their efficiency They have rankings. two different ways they grade it in both. And it's, it's, it's the way he approaches the position. I don't think it's necessarily, um, yeah, it's, obviously the physical part of it plays into it, but it may be an unwillingness to change and just to hit the hole. And if he doesn't change... The approach that he used to have that used to serve him well of shifting, cutting on a dime, which is his Twitter handle, cut on dime 25. If he doesn't change that, then he will continue to be thrown for losses two and three yards behind the line of scrimmage. It, to me, it's tantamount to uh, a shifty boxer like a Roy Jones Jr. Or at some point, what would happen to Floyd Mayweather if he sticks around too long? Or Muhammad Ali is you're used to making guys miss. Right. And your brain tells you, uh, your brain isn't aware that your body can't do it anymore. So you need to change your style at some point and become less of a finesse guy and start slugging it out. And he's uh, and you take you're gonna if you don't you're gonna take your shots and you're gonna get hit hard uh, behind the line of scrimmage as opposed to um, hitting the hole. And he's not gonna go from being cut on a dime to doesn't cut at all on a dime. He's going to go from cutting on a dime to sort of kind of cutting on a dime to eh, not really cutting on a dime. To, cutting okay. on a quarter. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, cutting on a nickel. Yeah. Kennedy half dollar. And he does need to change his style. I, honestly, I thought one of his best runs lately that we've seen of him was against the Jaguars. I think it was a second and three, and he ran straight forward, found a little crevice in the line. There wasn't much room, and got a first down. Four-yard run on second and three. Boom. Efficient. That's what you need. But then I brought it up to him later that week, and I, I said, how much of that is indicative of you perhaps starting to change your style given you know where you are in your career? And he sort of brushed it off. No, no, no. It was, a, it was just a short yardage run. That's all that was. 
Well, so there could be a, a stubbornness on his part. With three games left in the season, LaShawn McCoy has a hamstring injury. We don't know if he's going to be able to play uh, or how much uh, he'll be able to play Sunday against the Detroit Lions. Our, but with three games left in the season, Josh Allen leads the team in rushing yards. Mm-hmm. He would be only the fourth quarterback, or I should say the fourth non-running back since 1961 to lead his team in rushing. Russell Wilson did it last year. Randall Cunningham did it three or four times. I don't recall. I think four times with the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, Bobby Douglas did it in 1972 with the Chicago Bears. So it's pretty rare company for Josh Allen to be in if he's able to do this. And here's one of the things where sometimes fans will jump, but Josh Allen being the leading rusher, not a good thing. And fans will go, oh, well, you know, it's great. He's a young quarterback. To a person, Sean McDermott, Brian Dayball, other people in the building, they don't want that to be the case. They said that publicly this week. We do not want Josh Allen to be our leading rusher. No, from a team standpoint, you're right. But when your quarterback can do that, it's right. good. It's so good. in the team, yeah, con- yeah. so in the context of 2018, when you look back, right. you're going to say, "Look how bad the Bills' run game was." That their quarterback let, but that's kind of out the window. They, right. And there's a you have to kind of bend your mind a little bit. Yeah, you don't want your quarterback to do that. But what he's doing right now is showing you what he can do. Exactly. So we're if you're looking at 2019 and the Bills can't correct this, then it's a problem. But I don't. It's certainly not a a blemish on Josh Allen that he's leading the team in rushing. It's bad it's, for where the team is. More of a statement this, on Lashawn McCoy. Yeah. And yeah, and the team. Right. And and the offensive and everybody. And the offensive and, line. I don't think we're up against a break, but are we? I don't know. How long have you been doing this? A long time. <laughs> but I want we to give are. credit to. Our good friend John Waro from the Associated Press, who did talk to LaShawn McCoy today, and when he asked him about his chances of playing on Sunday, McCoy said, I want to try to get in a couple good games before it's over. Implying, of course, that there haven't been too many good games this year, and obviously there hasn't. I think the the Jets game a month ago was probably his best. Um, It was his best in a, a full calendar year. Right. I think it was 16 or 18 games that, that he 100. had 100 yards, or mm-hmm. then he'd also gone a long time without a I touchdown. I think it was since the uh, and that the includes the, pl- the playoff game last year. All right, when we come back, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about the Bills <gasps> favored. What? Not only that, but for two em. weeks in a row <laughs> against the Detroit Lions, they are a two and a half point favorite as of now. Uh, the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. <coughs> Pardon me. <laughs> Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Do you know this song, Mike? Chrome Deck. I've never heard this song. No, it's a classic. Paul Simon's Kodachrome. My parents definitely would. This is right up the rally. Let's have let's have a little bit more of it, Bobby. I can read the writing Especially if you live this close to Rochester, you should know this. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I get the song. I've heard it. Definitely, you have to get to the chorus. The chorus I recognize. This is on my iTunes or on my uh, my list, and this is a song I will never skip. Oh, I don't know why. It comes on. I don't know why. It's a catchy dude. I know it's kind of a simple and goofy and cheesy, but there's always that one. Yep. You know, never. I never skipped this song. I could see my mom dancing to this. Here, let's <laughs> let's hit this next line. Let's see if Mike agrees with this. If you took all the girls I knew when I was single, 
Both of them. Both <laughs> of them for Mike. We brought them all together for one night. Yeah. Mike can imagine. I know they never match my sweet imagination. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them. And everything looks worse in black and white. <laughs> all right. Wow. Without further ado, we need to get to the fact that the Bills are favored for the second straight week. Now, they opened as a pick, but uh, the Sharps in Vegas have bet the Bills down to a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and we're going to get the scoop from our man in Vegas. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, it's Joel Stanishevsky. The Bills make me wanna. Ow. The best gambling advice from Vegas. It's Joel Stanishevsky. Welcome to the show after a week off, Joel. We're sorry we couldn't connect last week for the historic. The historic discussion about the Bills being favored for the first time all season. It was a uh, yeah, it was a missed opportunity. Um, like I had said to you in a text, for some reason I decided to take a juice cleanse for three days and drink only juice. Oh boy! And it, I was pretty much out of it for like a couple of days. I couldn't even tell you what day. Of the what week does it that was. do to you? It's supposed to like kickstart your metabolism and. And get you to kind of lose weight and get you. Okay, to now that's what it's supposed to do. What does it do to you? <laughs> oh, it makes you miserable. <laughs> you're tired. You're you're cranky. You you like like you don't know what's going on. You you just you're just like in a daze. Just so hungry, and every food sounds delicious, and all you're stuck with is like beet juice and Ugh. kale juice. It was awful. What was, was the awful. first thing you you ate when you came off of it? Um, I try to take it kind of easy. So there's like this, um, one of those like sushi burrito, sushi bowl places by my work. So I went over there and just kind of had some, some crab and tuna and rice and just kind of took it easy. Is that taking it easy? That's like, you know, not, uh, versus like greasy cheeseburgers and yeah, stuff like that. Right. It, it was, I think just the, the, bur- the word burrito, I think was where it stopped <laughs> it, me. I and didn't then go crab, the burrito then... route. I went the bowl route, just, you know, a bowl of rice with some tuna on top. It was delicious. I see. Okay. Well, are you feeling okay? Did it work? Did it feel like it kick-started your metabolism? It, it did. You know, it really did. Like, I start, I started feeling a lot more energetic, even without drinking coffee in the morning. And so if it works, then cool. If I do that, like, once a year or so, or once a, every 30-some years, then I'm cool. Full house here in the in the studio uh, for you, Joel, just so you know, all the different voices you're hearing. Of course, we have our big, crooked co-host, uh, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein's here. Of, of course, Bobby Rosati is uh, handling things uh, behind the board. And Lindsay D'Arcangelo of The Athletic, she's been joining us. Uh, you recall her from last season. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, you guys might need to introduce yourselves to each other again. But Lindsay's in here. She's stunned that the Bills are uh, are favored. She loves her Bills, but, uh, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the line opening as a pick was, I think, the appropriate line. Um I think the betters are looking at the fact that the Bills played two really good games with a bunch of bonehead mistakes, um, that if they can get those things cleared up, they could do really great things, you know, get their special team. I was watching the game last week, 
I think it was last week, and I was thinking, why don't they just kick the ball out of bounds? Give it to him at the 40. You got a better chance than letting him return a kick. But uh, the Lions, they, they, they haven't really done anything. Their offense is more banged up than ours is. Uh, they have one receiver. Uh, they, they, they threw for under 100 yards. I mean, Matt Stafford's numbers last week were looking like Tyrod Taylor's. Um, under 100 yards passing when he's you know one of the highest-paid quarterbacks in the league is, is just awful. Uh, their defense is banged up now, too, uh, and they don't travel well. They don't travel well to cold weather, um, and they traveled. Where did they play last week? Arizona. So they traveled all the way to Arizona, and now they're traveling in Buffalo. I, I think it's just a, a lot for them to handle, which is why I think um, some of the sharper bets are coming in on, on Buffalo. Yeah, opened uh, as a pick. It's now two and a half across the board at all the major uh, spots in Las Vegas, and uh, the total though it's uh, you can get it anywhere from thirty-eight and a half to thirty-nine and a half. Uh, your thoughts on uh, that as an over/under? Uh, it's that's a tough one. I would probably go with over. Uh, the weather doesn't seem like it's going to be that bad. It's not like it's going to be in the single digits and and snowing. So Might be it's in the forties. Yeah, forties is great. I'll, I'll be there, so I'm glad it's going to be in the forties and not the single digits. Um, yeah, the, the 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 action that I've seen um, is pretty even on both sides. So the number obviously is where they want it. Um, I, I would venture to guess that the sharper betters have been taking the bills, which is why that line has moved. Um, and, and you know, you could look at a number of different trends as to why that would happen. You know, um, Buffalo is fifteen and four straight up their last nineteen games after consecutive losses, and our two consecutive losses were very very winnable games. Uh, games that we probably should have won, uh, so you got to take that into account. Whereas Detroit is was barely getting by Arizona, who's you know arguably the, one of the worst teams in football right now. We were looking uh, at some of the other lines uh, in these uh, in the NFL this week. Uh, also, uh, Mike Rodak and I a bit surprised to see the New York Giants as favored this week, even though they're playing well, but they're at home against Tennessee. Uh, a team that's competing for the division still, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not as though they're out of it. And uh, the Giants yeah. are a three-point favorite there. I guess it's down to two and a half now. Yeah, there are three games that I actually circled on my sheet that I printed out today: uh, Minnesota, mm. Dallas, and Tennessee. Yeah, what do you think games, of Minnesota? Lines... They opened as nine and a half point favorites against Miami, and of course, Miami needs a fluke play to knock off New England last week. But Miami's been playing okay. Um, and Minnesota has looked pretty shaky. Uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, I, mean, I know that he plays a lot different at home than he does on the road. And uh, but, yep. he, he plays poorly on, on prime time. He plays poorly on the road. He plays poorly against teams with winning records. Um, but he's back home. Miami, like you said, won on a fluke play. Uh, the game has been bet down to seven, uh, and it's still getting bets on Miami. So I'd venture to guess that it's going to end up getting down to six and a half um which is is way too low i think if it can if you can get that game below seven i would most definitely take that bet all right and i'm sorry i interrupted you regarding the giants uh, titans yeah giants titans i am really surprised by that yeah it opened at three uh, it's gone down to two and a half you might find a two in town realistically tennessee should be favored in that game i think a lot of it has to do with the market uh the fact that you can bet in New Jersey, so I'm sure those books that that 
have multiple locations in Las Vegas and in New Jersey, they're they're getting probably a lot of bets on the Giants, which which is why they also opened that line like they did. Um, but again, I don't I don't think that the Giants should be favored in that game. Okay, so what kind of action will Joel Staniszewski have going for uh, him as he's watching this game live at New Era uh, Field? Yeah, I um, I'm gonna wait and see like where the line ends up going. I liked it. I liked it early as a pick 'em for the Bills. I'm I'm not very stoked on it at two and a half, um, but I will definitely take some action on the Bills. Um, I'll most likely probably end up laying the two and a half. The money line right now on Buffalo you can find as low as minus a dollar forty. So that might actually be worth it to lay the extra thirty cents and not have to worry about that two and a half points and and. Uh, sit there and cheer on my my hometown team all right well joel thanks for uh, joining us safe travels uh, back to your hometown uh, are you going to go uh check out the the buff state campus and go visit uh, all your old teachers at st joe's what are we going to do uh, most definitely not oh okay. um uh, yeah those those days are long gone of going near those uh campuses <laughs> so uh I'm, I'm more inclined to hit up you know uh lenova uh, Lovejoy Pizzeria, Mighty Taco, Jim Steakhouse. <laughs> that's that's where I need to go. Elmo's. Yeah. Uh, speaking of earlier in the segment where uh, Rodak didn't know that song, what was the song that he didn't know that we had at Elmo's playing last time? Was it like 98 Degrees? He's like, I have no idea who I'm this is. I'm glad I don't know. Well, there's also, uh, he that? didn't. He infamously did not know what the Humpty Dance was. Yes. Oh, I do not know Jeez. that. But two, he does now because we've shamed him into it. But at the first time it was played uh, on the jukebox, there, mm. it, he didn't. He had no idea what it was. No idea. But for I, the I'm record, speechless. I did know what that song was once it got to the chorus in the last segment. I that, didn't know that's that. worth. I didn't anything. know that song. I you didn't know, know Kodachrome by Paul Simon. No. Oh, geez, and you're a musician. <laughs> Not that kind of musician. Oh boy! Yeah, let's play some Joel. Uh, let's uh, get some. Do we still have that in the library? Can we play some to remind people what kind of musician Joel Staniszewski is? Oh, his his song. Yeah, um, we still have another. We have like thirty. Yes. Do we have time to grab that? Yeah, let me see if I can find it. All right. Well, while Joel, stay on the line. Uh, but while we have this, uh, I want to thank Lindsay Darkangelo for coming on the show. Lindsay of the Athletic. Hopefully, she can come back and get back in the regular rotation. Yeah. Yes. I hope so. All right. The big crooked co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com was here again. Of course, so was Jonah Bronstein. I want to thank Nate Oates, the men's basketball coach at UB, uh, ranked number fourteen in the country. Uh, I want to thank Greg Gabriel, thirty-year NFL scout, for coming on, and I want to thank Bobby Rosati for working on the fly. And uh, we're just going to let Joel Staniszewski play us out. This is a great Let's idea. Play, I love but, it. But let me give one last uh, plug to Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555 or visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.